Hello and welcome back to the Harvard Hoops podcast. This is episode 68 and it is our latest weekly episode and our, our newest team special. Uh, this week I'm joined by Joe Holbert. You'll remember Joe from previous episodes. He's a, a very big T-Wolves fan and also a very good NBA analyst. So Joe, how are you doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. How about you, Liam? Yeah, all good, thanks, mate. Kind of getting ready for the play-in tournament and the, the playoffs are starting now. We're only a couple of weeks away, I think, aren't we? Yeah, but yeah, very close. Yeah, it's that kind of part of the season where a lot of it's already done and dusted. You're just kind of waiting for it to end. Yeah, are you a fan of it? The the extra the extra format in the games, or are you kind of on the Luka Doncic side that it, it it kind of unrewards the the seventh team and the eighth team in the standards? Um, no, I like this format. I think there's been a lot of crappy eight seed teams over the years. Mm. Think you know it add it can it adds a bit of variety. I wouldn't suggest that because you're the eight seed, you somehow like grinded your ass off for that spot and deserve it at all costs. I think you should have to fight for it after. Yeah. Less tanking as well, I think. We've seen less teams try and lose at the end of the year, which is is good. Uh, and teams like the Blazers, Mavs, Warriors, stuff like that, they've all got something to actually play for, haven't they? So I think it extends the season a little bit. Um, plan for the episode then, we're going to go through Joe's all-NBA teams, all three of them, um, kind of talk about each player and debate maybe who's in over who. Uh, and then after, we're going to talk about the T-Wolves. So I've got five questions specifically for Joe, just to discuss, I guess, the Timberwolves, how the season's been and, and where they go in the future. Um, let's kick it off with All-NBA then. Start with uh, start with third team, All-NBA. And do you want to start with your first guard or forward? You, you decide. Well, I'll start with the guard. So Kyrie is my first All-NBA third team guard. Cool. And in terms of him, do you, do you agree with most people that he's just been clearly the Nets' best player this year due to not missing as many games as Harden and KD? Um, or do you just think that he's too good not to be left off the list, I guess? I think it's more that he's too good not to be left off the list. I think the other two are better players. Um, obviously, KD, I believe, has only played 25 games. But yeah. obviously, those have been very high quality. I mean, Kyrie has actually led this team in a lot of the victories because he's not always had Harden. He's not always had Durant, you know, he's, we know about his driving skill, but the playmaking has been quite a bit better this year, in my opinion, uh, just in seeing teammates and trusting teammates. Obviously, having a guy like Joe Harris helps a lot with that. Yeah, and I think Kyrie's also been, is it his most efficient scoring season as well in his career? So I think that's another like, added bonus, isn't it, to how well he's played as a distributor as well? Yeah, I think I think Mike D'Antoni's been a blessing for him because D'Antoni's very good at optimizing guards. He's done it every. I, mean, I, I will say Mike D'Antoni's always coached good guards. He, you know, he had Steve Nash in his prime. He had Jason Richardson uh, in Phoenix. Then he had you know he had Mello in New York. So he's always had good scorers to work with, but he really maximizes them. And I think just having that team based offense, I always felt with Kyrie in Boston, it was like. He was slated for kind of doing it all himself, but actually Brad Stevens doesn't really run any proper offensive set. So actually that's kind of what ends up happening in Boston. Whereas Kyrie here, you're seeing him play, just play better and it's, it's more efficient and it's more sustainable. It's, it means that the team can cope if he has an offshoot at night because of his playmaking and because of the offense in place. Cool, perfect. Well, well, we'll talk about at the end maybe some people that have missed off the list. So let's go on to your your second guard then to play with Kyrie. I've gone for Bradley Beal. I mean, it was kind of, this was the toughest one. I pretty much flew through the rest of the players. I found this hard and I found the centre of this team hard, which I guess we'll get to shortly. But I, I think what Beal was doing in the sort of first half of the season was very underappreciated. He was absolutely putting the team on his back. He had nothing around him. Westbrook really struggled at the start of the year. He's been playing better lately, but I would still say Beal is the best player on this team pretty comfortably. You know, he's shooting 30, 30 points, 31 points per game, 48% shooting from the field. He's getting to the line at a pretty good rate. He's just been excellent. You know, obviously, he's not the greatest defensive player in the world, but it hasn't it hasn't really mattered. You know, he's he's put the team on his back in these big moments. Yeah, and I think the other players that I've seen linked to this kind of position slash selection, uh, none of them are good defenders, to be honest. Uh, so you're not really even looking that side of the ball, are you? And I think Beal's just been such a good scorer. I think the first two months of the season as well, wasn't he averaging like 36 points a game? And I know he's kind of slipped off since then with Westbrook getting more of the ball, but I think that his scoring prowess is huge. Probably, 
arguably one of the best scoring guards in the NBA, uh, not just this season, but last two seasons, I think. Yeah, and he, you know, he does it by just being incredible. Sort of, I mean, he's a decent shooter, but he's incredible inside the arc. You know, he's his space creation on the inside is kind of what separates him from a lot of other guards who have been built like him in the past. Uh, he's he's just excellent. Obviously, you know, obviously a lot of people have been saying, "Oh yeah, free Bradley Beal," but he doesn't want to leave, and we got to stop kind of forcing players like him to leave their teams. He doesn't want to. He likes being in Washington. He loves his coach. He loves his teammates, so I think it's it's better for the NBA for me if people like him stay on these teams. Otherwise, you're just going to have the battle of like big threes, and that's not as entertaining. No, I agree. He said multiple times now, isn't he, that he's not even looking to to leave Washington. So, then that's a rare trait in the modern day uh, NBA superstar. Uh, let's move on to let's do forwards next. Then uh, give us your first forward in the third team. Yeah, so I went for Kevin Durant. Obviously, some people might have him higher. And I'll tell you, like, if he played 10 more games, he probably would have made my first team. Yeah, uh, He's been ridiculous. I went on NBA UK Fans Live in the uh, in, yesterday, and Elliot Wade, who and Luton, was in the comments, and he said that, like, and he same thing I felt. is like, we knew Durant was good, but it's like, He's actually managed to take it to another level this year, which is kind of bizarre because he's been one of the most tough shot makers. The, I would say, to be honest, he's got an argument of being the best scorer in league history in just terms of the efficiency, where he does it from, the varieties. One of probably the best jump shooter to ever play the game. Fifty-five uh, percent from the field, forty-seven percent from three. <laughs> I mean, for a guy who takes that that difficulty of shot as well as like he's stood in the corner hitting wide open threes, he creates a lot of them himself. He's just he's just been ridiculous. And obviously, like someone who's averaging twenty-seven, seven, and five on fifty-five, forty-seven, and eighty-seven splits, you'd think first team. But it's just. Honestly, I generally don't care about the lack of games, but I just know that that's the way the voters will look at it. So he goes into my third team, but he's been like, it's weird to say, oh, Kevin Durant has surprised me, but actually he kind of has by how he managed to take it to another level this late in his career. Yeah, I think he's almost had two surprising parts of the season, hasn't he? He started off just by looking physically similar to what he was before, because I know that was a worry after the Achilles. Not many seven-footers come back after that. And then he looked almost like the same player. Then now, like you said, efficiency-wise, he's took it to another level. Uh, and his ability to kind of let others do things and, and him work off the ball, I think, is is very special. Uh, even last night, what was the score last night? I think he 128-119. He scored 33 points against the Suns off the bench. And that was his first game in, in what, three or four weeks? Something like that, with that, that the injury woes. So he just comes straight back and just helps them win a game, I think. For me, he's, would you agree that... He's the best player in the NBA, or, or would you say that's too much of a statement? Uh, too much of a statement for me. I mean, obviously, I've had this debate with people. I don't even think he's the best player in his, on his own team, which I would kind of uh, get to shortly. But I think cool. but he's definitely the best scorer in the league, and he's probably the best scorer to ever play the game. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, what's the, who, Which forward have you got playing alongside him, then? Uh, I've got Zion. You know, I've been... I, I don't know how I, if you're probably not as active on Twitter as me because you probably have better things to do. But um, <laughs> um, all summer it was kind of like, oh, the league is forcing Zion down our throat. You know, why are they doing this? He's not proven anything. Well, he has proven stuff this year. He's one of, he's going to go down as possibly the most efficient scorer to ever play the game. And he literally, he doesn't do anything special in terms of how he gets the shots. He's just bigger, stronger, and more powerful than everyone else doesn't matter who you put on him. And with the way the Pelicans are constructed, the roster, so that their guards are met, like they need to get Bledsoe out of there ASAP. But I like pairing him with Steven Adams because if you pair him with like a stretch centre, say you paired him with Brook Lopez, you could hide your power forward on Brook Lopez because he stands on the perimeter and then you put your centre on Zion. But when Steven Adams there, you can't do that because he's going to bang on the boards. He's a decent post guy. So... Zion's taking advantage of that size and he's just bullying people. He's scoring at a ridiculous rate. The Pelicans don't really have to do much to get him going. They just need to give him some form of a downhill angle and it's pretty much game over. There's not many power forwards who can even disrupt him. The best I've seen, Maxi Kleber did a good job on him and won the games last year. I think he blocked him five times, but this year has been 
pretty much no one can stop him. Um, and obviously a lot of the people all summer who were crying that, you know, the league shouldn't have been forcing him down our throats, they look very stupid. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I read an article in uh, January, I think, about early NBA, all NBA team predictions. He wasn't on any of the teams. Uh, and since now, I've seen him in second and third team. So I think people finally realised how good he is. Uh, do you think the fact that he's playing kind of more point forward helps? Because I've seen, obviously, with Bledsoe off the court, he's carrying the ball up and down the court a little bit more. What are your thoughts on him kind of handling the ball more? Do you think that helps his game? Uh, or is it just harder for teams to defend him that way? I think it helps everyone's game because if you think about it, like if you have to scheme Zion for a touch, your defense can kind of disrupt that. If he's bringing the ball up from the second the ball crosses half court, they're worried. And that's not because he's a Steph Curry shit. That's because they're thinking, right, how do we block off these angles? And when you're putting that much attention on trying to block off the angles into the paint, it's going to open it for other guys. What they need to do a better job at is getting shooters because obviously we know we know that's not Bledsoe's strength. I question Brandon Ingram's long-term fit on this team. I think, actually, I saw a Brandon Ingram for CJ McCollum swap, and I think that's actually one of the few swaps that would benefit both teams. Um, but they need they just need to add more shooting around him. But it hasn't mattered of, on his level. It just means the Pelicans haven't won as many games as they should. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think the other point is, this season, he's had a lot less injury woes as well. Um, and it's just a constant kind of anti-Zion bias we see that mentions the knees mentions the, the injuries last year and I think this year he's kind of proved to people that when he's fit and healthy which hopefully is more often that he's going to be probably one of the best forwards in the league I think Kim and Luca probably have got an argument to, to be the two kind of best youngsters in the league um, and maybe Zion's got the highest the highest ceiling to be honest out of anyone I think he's that good uh, cool let's go on to centre then uh, you said this was a hard one so who did you end up picking so I went for Julius Randall and obviously it does mean that Rudy Gobert has missed out, but my thinking is this: like, so I haven't actually got any Utah players in the All NBA, and there's, you know, their their fans, I'm sure, if they ever saw this on Twitter, would be uh, <laughs> very upset. But I just think they've they've got a they've got a lot of very good players. They I don't think that, and that's testament to them actually. You know, if I had to twist that, it's kind of a testament to how well coached they are. And, that they don't actually have a star, but they're able to win as many games as they have. But Julius Randle this year has been absurdly good. Uh, Tom Thibodeau uh, has done a really good job with that team. And, you know, the the entire offense is just built around Randle. Like, if he isn't going, they've got nothing else. And that's not a, it's not a slight of Thibs. It's a slight of the roster construction because they just haven't got many playmakers. RJ Barrett's been decent. Um, D Rose can give you a bit off the bench as that score. But, like, Julius... I think in the last seven games, he's averaging like 36 points and he's shooting 50% from three. He's just been ridiculous. You know, he's been a he's been a pure scorer and the defense hasn't mattered because Thibodeau has put a team around him that can cover for him and defend the paint. And he's just been, I mean, I wrote an article on him four or five weeks ago and he's actually gotten better since I wrote the article. The shooting's gone up, just been insane. And I think... I like players who elevate teams rather than players who are just part of good teams. That's why I've chosen Beal and that's why I've chosen this guy as well. Yeah, in terms of the him over the Rudy Gobert side of things, uh, is that just mainly, like you said, because the, on the offensive end, Rudy Gobert is just a small piece of their offense as opposed to Randall, I guess, who is purely the whole Knicks offense, isn't he? Is it just kind of the different responsibilities and, and levels that those two players can get to, you think? I think the way I look at it and it, you know, again, this is the thing with selecting awards. Everyone has a different philosophy and process. There's no right or wrong answer. But my logic is this. If you take Rudy, Rudy Gobert off the Utah Jazz, they're still probably a playoff team because they've got a good backcourt. Bayer Bogdanovich has been long been probably one of the most underrated players in the league. And they've got two of, well, they've got the two best six-man candidates, in my opinion, and Jordan Clarkson. And Joe Ingles. So they've got multi-ball handler synergy across the roster. If you take Julius Randle off the Knicks, they're probably the worst. It's not much probably. They are probably definitely the worst team in the league. They've got absolutely nothing. The defense could still be decent, but here's the thing. If you don't have at least a competent offense, you can't be an elite defense because you're going to give up transition buckets. Your players are going to kind of be depressed as they're coming down the court because they can't hit anything. You need at least a semi-competent offense to be an elite defense. And, you know, Julius is delivering on that. And he's 
he's an interesting free agent candidate because I wouldn't pay him if I was another team because I don't know if I'd buy the shooting, but I'd pay him if I was the Knicks because he's literally led the 34 and 27 with that roster. Is he a free agent this year or the year after? I believe it's this year. Uh, okay. Um, I agree then. They they would have to pay him, wouldn't they? Because the, their offense without him is <laughs> is not great. I, I know that you, you're a Timberwolves fan, like I said, but you cover the Mavs. Uh, I don't know if you watched the game, the Knicks versus the Mavs, the most recent one, but Randall was just the whole offense for the whole game, uh, barely coming off the floor as well for more than like two minutes at a time. And I think that those games are like prime examples. He has to score 46 points or whatever it was just to win them a game against a team that's at the time wasn't playing that great either. I think that's how important he is to the Knicks' success. Yeah, I mean, they've in one of the games recently, I saw a film thread on it, that the offense was, it became actually Julius Randle handling the ball as a pick-and-roll ball handler, like genuinely everything runs through him. All their three-point looks are generated by him, not necessarily with because he gets the assist, but because he'll get the hockey mm-hmm. assist, because he'll draw the double and that allows the ball movement. He is everything to this team, and it's been really fun to watch. Yeah, I think if he gets the uh, the nod for this, he'll be the second oldest person ever to get a uh, an All NBA shout for his first time. So between that and the All Star game, it's been a hell of a season. Uh, let's move on to second team. Then we'll start again with the guards. Uh, this is another one between Team Two and Team One that I've seen a lot of different opinions on. So give us your first guard for second team. Uh, Damian Lillard. Cool MVP candidate as well. Great season. Few injuries again, I know, but his uh, scoring's been crazy all year, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. I mean, you kind of run out of superlatives to 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 uh, describe him because he's so consistent. I mean, he's been, you know, the the shooting numbers are what they've kind of been for his whole career. In fact, they are almost exactly the same to like the exact decimal point. I think he's my my thing of putting him second over one is I don't. Maybe I'm being harsh, but the thing is, when you're picking between these elite players, you have to be harsh because you can't just go, oh, yeah, I'm going to pick him because I like him. Mm-hmm. You're looking for fine differences between them because they're all elite players, but I don't think he's elevated his team as much as the guys in the first team necessarily have. So I think, obviously, an elite season, um, if he got all NBA first team, like the thing is, the four guards I've got in the next two teams, you could honestly flip them round and I wouldn't. I wouldn't argue too hard. I wouldn't agree with it, but Dame has been... My, my thing is, I, I'm i not big on the Blazers. I think a lot of their wins have been quite fluky this year. It's been a lot of close wins, um, whereas I think the guys above him are kind of elevating their supporting cast. Just that little bit more for them, for me to put him in second team. Yeah, I had him fourth out of the four guards that I think we were going to talk about. And I had him on our list of the NBA UK fans that Rich tweeted out. I had him as the fourth best guard. I had three other guards that are better than him in general, not just this season. So I'm definitely on your wavelength. And I think voters-wise, I think if the Portland Trailblazers continue to slide, they're, what, seventh now. And I think the Grizz are only a game back from them, I think. Uh, if that continues to happen, I think that there's less and less chance that he's going to have any shot at being the first team because they will take team success into it, won't they, into to some context at least. Yeah, definitely. And Memphis, to, for the record, do seem to have their number at the moment. Like They just seem they're really trapping him hard. And that's been the problem with Portland over the last couple of years is they've never, you know, I remember the Blazers-Pelican series from a couple of years ago. And obviously part of the problem was they had nothing they could put on AD, but when Dame was being trapped, they had nothing. And I think that's unfortunately got to be part of it is that they just never really had the correct personnel to take the team to the next level. And I think, and I also had him fourth on that list of guards as well. I think he's, he's incredible player, but I don't think he's been better than he was last year. And I, I would kind of factor that into this. Whereas I think the other guys have been better. Yeah, I agree. I think Kevin O'Connor from the ringer as well. He released a, He's got an article or a post, at least on his, his Twitter page, about the same thing, saying that Portland have been overrated all season and that they're not really as good as what everyone thinks they are. The numbers behind it aren't quite as as good as maybe as what Portland fans think they are. Uh, but let's move on from Dane then, go on to your next guard. I'm interested to see who this is. Who's your uh, second guard in your second team? Uh, I put James Harden. I think, you know, Harden has been incredible this year in the games he's played. He's been incredible for a long time, but I think a lot of the opinion on him around the league is shifting a little bit. I think people are starting to be a little bit fairer towards him. Yep. Um, the playmaking is 
unbelievable. You know, 11 assists per game, and it, they're not what I would call cheap assists, where it's kind of stat padding. He's actually genuinely making really good passes, really good proactive reads. He's passing the ball before the defenders rotated. He's just been... He's been elite, and he's been doing this now for such a long time that it's about time he kind of started getting his respects. Yeah, I agree. I think I, I saw an article um, a week or so ago, I can't remember if it was, someone from ESPN, uh, saying that Harden might be the best scorer in NBA history. Um, him or Kobe Bryant. Also, I, I love KD, so I'm not sure I'm going to agree with that. But the fact that he's getting kind of mentioned along that class is is really good for him. And I think a lot of people are now seeing him play in a different system, aren't just focusing on kind of him taking the whole 20 seconds and then either passing someone in the corner or taking a three or, or drawing a foul. I think people realise that he can do everything on the court now. Uh, and for me, he's one of the best players in the league for sure. Yeah, I wouldn't have him as the best scorer of all time. I probably, You could argue he's the best offensive player because what sets him apart from certainly KD is the playmaking and the assists. You know, he's... He can. Ha- he's one of the few players who you can give like a forty percent usage percentage to, and he'd actually probably justify it. Whereas most players wouldn't. Their efficiency would drop, even including some of the greats. You know, even someone like Dame. I don't know if he could handle the same workload Harden does and has. I think he's, and he's in the perfect situation now because obviously with the Nets, like it's kind of scary that you can't really double any of them. And when you're even thinking about doubling Harden's not the guy you want on the ball because he's such a decisive passer throwing into tight windows yeah i agree um the thing with harden as well uh he he won those what two mvps one is it two or one i can't remember one of them oh no it's the westbrook one a lot of people thought he should have won uh arguably he's having another great season this year he's probably going to finish on the mvp ballot again i think um would you have him in your top five right now of mvps yeah definitely yeah yeah I- yeah, I think he's fourth favourite in the bookies' odds, and I think he's, he's probably going to get third on most people's ballot. He's been that good for them. Uh, cool. Let's move on to forwards then. Uh, who's your first forward in your second team? Uh, LeBron James. You know, obviously, kind of surprising that we're sat here talking about him as all NBA second team, but it's just, I think, uh, he's missed a couple of games. He's obviously still been very good. I think team success comes into this, to be honest, which is bit hypocritical of me because it's not usually something I like to look at but I just don't think he's been as good as Kawhi and Giannis this year you know the Lakers are down at the fifth seed whereas the Clippers are the third seed and the Bucks are the third seed as well I just there's I don't know what I can add on LeBron James really like he's been doing this since since about six years before I even started following the NBA um just an insane level. I think it's the team success that's going to go kind of against him because the the thing with the Lakers is they don't care about the playoff seeding because they know they've got Anthony Davis, they got LeBron James. Now they got a much better supporting cast than they had last year. They don't care about the playoff seeding, but obviously I think that will impact LeBron's placing. Yeah, I think he's missed what's nearly four weeks now. Probably going to miss about six weeks in total, and that's right before the voting, isn't it? So I think that it's the worst possible time for someone to miss games because if you've got three all-world players to choose from and one of them's missed, I don't know, 35 games and the other one's missed five games. It's going to have an impact on some voters, I think, as it does with MVP. Uh, so I agree. I think James probably slightly behind those those other forwards. Uh, who's your, your second forward on this team? Uh, I went for Paul George. You know, obviously, we know what he can do in the regular season. He needs to improve his playoff performances. Uh, but he's having arguably the best season of his career and that's something similar to what people were saying last year he's obviously we know he's elite defensively and he has been shooting his highest ever field goal percentage highest ever three-point percentage I believe he's highest in assists per game uh, Ty Lue's done a really good job actually with this team he's been an underrated coach for quite a long time Ty Lue I think he was just kind of seen as LeBron's lackey when he was in Cleveland but actually he's a very good basketball coach who challenges his stars and that's one of the reasons the Clippers hired him because he creates a challenging atmosphere and he will stand up to these stars and hold them accountable. And I think that's probably potentially why you're seeing elevated performances from both of the Clippers star players. I think they've been, you know, PG, again, like we know what he can do in the regular season. He needs to do it in the postseason. But for this award, he's absolutely been worthy of that second team nod. Yeah, they've got a chance of being the second seed, at least haven't they, in the West as well. So, like you said earlier, team success could play a big part of it because 
the fact that the Lakers are going to be down there, the Nuggets, obviously, with Jamal Murray, might slip away a little bit. I think the Clippers could easily be the second seed, maybe behind the Jazz or the Suns. Uh, and I think that, that'll play some impact in it as well, won't it? Because voters will just look at those little things to, to pick players apart from each other. Yeah, that's what I said earlier. Like, It seems harsh when we're picking these awards. It's not always the most fun process. But like, when you're trying to pick between players this good, you do have to be critical because you have to find the one little difference that's going to put someone above someone. Would you be worried to come playoffs if he starts to try and push push in terms of being on the ball more like he did last playoffs? I know that the, the postseason struggles last year led to a lot of criticism, didn't they? And I think that, as always, they'll shorten their rotation. I know they've got Rondo in now, but do you think there's a chance that he'll want to kind of push the, the envelope again and maybe be too aggressive in the playoffs? Or do you think that this seat, this kind of in-season form can progress into the postseason? I think that's why they traded for Rondo. I mean, the thing with Rondo is he's pretty much useless in the regular season. Um, I don't think he tries to be honest in the regular season. He was really bad on Atlanta, but he does turn up in the playoffs. You can't really deny it. And I think... Last year, I always felt that the Clippers had too many guys whose best strengths were on ball. It wasn't just their two stars. They had Lou Williams, Montres Harrell, uh, Marcus Morris, whereas Rondo's kind of a guy who can get all them to their spots. But I think this is where Ty Lue comes in as well. I always felt last year watching the Clippers that like there was no leadership, there was no accountability, which is why Paul George was able to take those shots. That's all. That's never been his game. You know, as, as good as he was in Indiana, I always felt that they were at their best running offense through like David West, and they had George Hill to run the offense as well. Uh, he's not really, he's not an elite scorer. I know it sounds a bit mean, but he's not. He's not compared to the others. He's not a guy who you go right. We're going to run twenty isolation possessions for you. That's not really what he does. So I think they need to keep using him off ball, which is what they've done a little bit more this year and. That's what I think will happen. But I think the two most important factors to that are Rajon Rondo and Ty Lue introducing more of an egalitarian offence. Yeah, the more off-ball he is throughout his career, you can see his efficiency just shoots through the roof, doesn't it? So I think he's more of an efficient scorer rather than a, an elite scorer. Uh, cool, let's move on to the centre position then. Uh, everybody kind of has the same two centres in the first or second team. So interested to see which way around you've got it. Who's your uh, centre for this team? Oh, I've got Embiid. You know, it's... Some people say it's close between these these two. Uh, for me, it's not. Um, I think Embiid, obviously, like he is a better defender, but I think Jokic sets up his teammates more. I think the thing with Embiid is, is like it's what I said about Zion. He's a destructive one-on-one player, and that does set up his teammates sort of de facto because he he draws double teams, he draws a lot of fouls, and he really disrupts teams because. In an era where not many teams are going to the post, the Sixers still are, and that's kind of difficult because most bigs now, their main... If you look at a big from 2005, their main defensive responsibility was defending the post, defending the block. Well, now, it's probably pick-and-roll defence, so having to, whether you have to hedge, blitz, play drop coverage. Embiid kind of puts you in a weird position because you don't really have to do that against the Sixers when he's out there. That's not, that's not what they do, so... But he's been incredible this year. You know, he's looked better with the shooting around him, which is not really all that surprising. You know, when you've got someone that good inside, you put shooting around them and then you can't really double. Mm -hmm. Seth Curry's been a really good pickup for them. Obviously, us as Mavs guys know that Seth Curry should never have left the Dallas Mavericks. But he's been a really welcome addition to them. Yeah, he's been very good. But for me, Jokic has been better. Yeah, I think MB was it first in, in PER for the whole league. Um, again, another player that's missed time. I don't think Jokic has missed hardly any time at all. Uh, MB's missed a bit of time. Obviously better on defence, like you said, but Jokic's playmaking has just been elite. The amount of time the ball is in his hand in the game is crazy. And his fourth quarter efficiency ratings are huge for, for the Nuggets. So I think without him, they'd be really struggling and, and kind of in that 6-7-8 sort of range. Um, but he's been so good that he's just made them into an elite team. So yeah. I, I agree. I think I get the nod over Embiid for me. And I think in MVP voting, most people will probably give give Jokic the uh, the nod as well. Uh, cool. Let's move on to first team then. Um, we probably know know who they are, but let's uh, let's start with your first guard. Uh, Steph Curry. You know, he's been... I think this tear lately has put him about... I had Harden here probably two or three weeks ago, but this tear lately has been ridiculous. And 
not that I needed to be reminded of how destructive he is, but I kind of have been reminded, you know, he's been, he's the not only the best player to watch, he's probably the only guy I would say has an argument of best player in the league that's not called LeBron James, just in terms of the impact on the game of basketball. And when I look at this Warriors roster, man, someone should be losing their job because it's crap. Like the roster's <laughs> terrible. Like Draymond's, Draymond's a great passer and defender, so I consider him good. Wiggins has been a decent, he's been a pretty good perimeter defender this year. But like Warriors Twitter is kind of arguing, you know, they're arguing that Steve Kerr, the thing he needs to do differently is play guys like Juan Toscano Anderson. And no disrespect to Anderson, but if your swinging factor is playing a role player, you, your roster's not good enough. That's not, you know, for me, they're kind of about where they should be. And I think, honestly, without Steph Curry playing all-worldly, they would be really struggling to even get into this playing seed. You know, the Pelicans are, I think, four and a half games back. If Steph wasn't absolutely carrying them, they wouldn't be anywhere near where they are. Yeah, I don't know how you feel about Van Gundy either, but I think if the Pelicans had a more, uh, for my, in my opinion, a more capable coach as well, they'd be higher up the rankings because at times their roster compared to the Warriors, Spurs and arguably Grizzlies uh, has looked stronger at times. Uh, but unfortunately, Van Gundy can't get the Pelicans to have any sort of consistency uh, and win games where Steph Curry's managed to, to kind of will the Warriors to a certain amount of wins. They're 10th at the moment, aren't they? Just inside. And I think without him playing this level... You could be looking at 11-12, which is just embarrassing for a team that good. And it took Kerr a lot of time, didn't it, to give uh, Curry those extra shots? I know at the start of the season, he was kind of, he was at his average in terms of uh, how much he has the ball, how many shots he has. Uh, whereas now, he's way above his average just because they've realised we can't win games unless Steph Curry is shooting the ball as much as humanly possible. Yeah, I think, honestly, a lot of it, it's been really interesting to watch Warriors Twitter this year because... The criticism has been that Steve Kerr's running too much of their classic motion offense, which is kind of where Dre has the ball at the elbow and there's just cutters, movers, screens around him. It, it, it's a tough one because that's always what's made them good. But I, I see the argument that Kerr should probably adapt to what he's got. He's not got Clay Thompson anymore. He's not even got Harrison Barnes anymore. You know, for all the shit Barnes got at the end of the run, he was a really elite shooter when he was with the Warriors. They've mm -hmm. not got Sean Livingston anymore to post up and be that mismatch threat. You know, they've not got those guys anymore. So I definitely see the argument that Kerr should adapt, but I think Kerr is trying to keep the frame in place for when Clay comes back next year. But obviously, I don't know. You know, I don't know uh, sort of what the what the process is for that, because I see both sides. But Steph running spread pick and roll, especially with Dre's an elite short roll passer, it's like a cheat code. So I think you can honestly, that's how good Steph is. You can simplify the offense and it will work. You don't have to necessarily run a stupidly complex scheme. Just run a spread pick and roll and he's going to create angles that no other player does. Yeah, I agree. Setting records every week now in terms of amount of threes in a game, scoring in a game, over 30 points in a game for, for consecutive games, and just record after record. So he's going on an absolute tear. And I, I agree. I think most people had Harden in their first team for, for most of the season. But recently with him missing time and Steph playing as well, I think he's he's overtook him. Uh, that leaves us on to your next guard, uh, one that I'm very happy about is in your first team, I think. Uh, tell everyone who it is and why. Yeah, Luka Doncic, you know, he's um, he's elevating one of the worst constructed rosters in the league to that sixth seed. I mean, obviously, it's tough because, like, the Mavs could go on a three-game losing streak and there would be people who would knock out of their first team. But I try and look at the big pitch. You know, he's now shooting 36% from three on the year. He's really upped his efficiency. Uh, he's added a lot of... He's added a Dirk fadeaway to his game, which is really helping him out a lot in that kind of mid-range area. Sets up his teammates every night. If he had better shooting, he'd probably be at like 11 or 12 assists. Instead, he's got Josh Richardson, who uh, who thinks he's Michael Jordan and keeps trying <laughs> to drive into the paint and shoot fadeaways. You know, he's got a really bad roster around him outside of kind of Porzingis, Brunson and THJ. But it's just been, it's been a frustrating season to cover, to be honest, because the discourse around the team hasn't been very good. But Luke has been the constant sort of throughout all that really poor discourse and he's been the guy who's kept it all going yeah I was going to I'll ask for each position but at, when you went sat down and did this list was he your 
the easiest guard to put in the first team? Or were they all kind of similar between the top three and you just decided to go with him? Or was he kind of a standout one to be a guard in this team? Steph and Luca, I did have a tier above the other two just because I, I like guys who elevate poor rosters and still manage to play with that kind of elite efficiency. Um, the, the wing positions were a little bit tougher. I really did consider LeBron in the first, even though he's missed the games because he's LeBron James. Um, yeah. But it was straightforward. I honestly found the third team a little bit harder, you know, kind of picking who was to miss out. Uh, oh, we're going back to Luca. Actually, the quick question: What do you think he's improved aside from the the fadeaway and the mid range and the three point? Is there anything else you've you've seen he's obviously improved this year? Because um, he wasn't first uh, team All NBA last year, but I know people have mentioned his defense is a little bit better. Obviously, rebounding still a strength. But what do you think he's improved on elsewhere in his game? I think the def- the defense and the sort of mid range. Prowess. Now I don't have the mid-range numbers, but I'm just talking in terms of like the general score. And he looks a little bit not that he didn't look smooth before, but like that fadeaway shot is fit. I like players who are self-aware on what they need to add. I think there's too many players who don't have any self-awareness. <laughs> he seems to. But yeah, his his mid-range numbers have gone up. I've just checked that out. So it was 41% last year, 49% this year, which is. 95th percentile, so essentially he's bet only five percent of the league is better than him in that area. So, wow, and the, and the defense, you know, the blocks per game have gone up, they've almost tripled from so 0.6. You know, I'm not out here saying he's prime Dwayne Wade as a shot blocker, but like the defense has taken a noticeable improvement, which is kind of even more baffling to why the Mavs defense is as bad as it is for the majority of the time. Yeah, do you think the yapping at the refs will cause an issue when people vote for this? I, I personally don't mind it, but I've seen a lot of writers. I've seen Zach Lowe and uh, Howard Beck both mention in their columns that people across the NBA are getting fed up with him yapping at the refs so much. Do you think that'll have any impact on it in terms of people voting about who they want in the top two? Honestly, most players yap at the refs. Um, I've you know I've seen it over the years. Uh, there's some players who don't like Tim Duncan. Never used to do it, but Tim Duncan was kind of like a very unique guy. So yeah. there's so many players over the years, elite players as well, who have yapped at the refs, tried to get in their head, and it's never really been a problem until now. I don't really know why it is. Uh, Mark Cuban went quite hard at Zach Lowe, I think. Um, yeah, he did. He did. Which you know, I'm not condoning that, but like, I feel like if you're gonna outright say stuff. I'd understand if he was like being like if he was tweeting about oh, the refs, are sh- the refs are crap and all that. Like he's not; he's doing whatever. It's not even just in basketball. Like, we see it in football. We see it in the NFL. People do moan at the refs a lot. Yeah, I don't do. doing it any more than anyone else, but maybe they're seeing something different to me. Yeah, I'm biased. Like I said, I'm a Mavs fan. Everyone knows that, so I'm going to be biased. But he gets fouled a lot <laughs> because of his size. Yeah. I think Harden's the same. Their size and how good they are in on the interior. Uh, handling wise they just get fouled a lot but because they're they're almost so good so big and they get so many fouls already I think that that the refs don't like to call it which which would be frustrating and he's only 22 isn't he so he's got he's got ways to develop Uh, let's move on then to your forwards give us your first forward on your first team Uh, Kawhi Leonard I went for he's look we know what he's good at he's a hyper efficient scorer I wouldn't suggest, you know, I don't mean since I don't, I wouldn't suggest that if someone's trying to get in, get into the NBA, that Kawhi Leonard is a guy they necessarily watch. But I think if you cover the the league at a deeper level, you appreciate what he does with the footwork, the jump shot that you feel like is never going to miss. Uh, the defense, you know, the the switching, the passing lane influence. Just been incredible this year. The Clippers have been better than last year. I was high on them last year. They made me look a bit stupid, but this year, like, they do seem to be taking it to another level. Kawhi, you know, he's shooting his highest there, uh, his highest field goal percentage since the 13 14 season, which I believe is when the Spurs won there, beat the Heat in the finals. Shooting at that kind of level again, the three point percentage is second highest in his career, 15 16. He somehow shot 45% from three. But he's he's just been ridiculously efficient, and him and Paul George, they've been getting it done. But they need to do it in the playoffs. 
I think he's like third in win share as well in, in the whole NBA, which is a stat some people don't like. But I think it helps highlight his influence on both ends. And there's not as many people in these lists that impact on the defensive end, I don't think, as much as Kawhi does. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, and again, that team success is going to come into it. He's the best player for me on a team that's probably going to finish second in the West. So I think that, that does count for something. Uh, cool. About your second forward then. Uh, I think we know who it is. Which one of the two were you more kind of uh, pondering to, to swap with LeBron? Who was the one that you were clear on in first team and it was between him and LeBron for the second? I was clear on Giannis. Cool. Yeah, Giannis was the, actually the first guy I wrote down for the first team, then Jokic and then the two guards. Cool. Uh, yeah, Giannis is... He definitely should be... Um, I might say he probably should be the MVP, to be honest. Like... Or at least it should be, because the conversation really, I don't know if you're reading different ones to me, but it's, it seems to be between the two centres, the MVP. That's yeah. what I'm reading. I know we got voter fatigue with Giannis, but like that shouldn't be a thing because he has been, I think he's been more efficient. Yeah, he's been more efficient this year than he was last year. Obviously, look, we know he can't shoot threes, but he impacts the game in other ways. The defence has been better. The Bucks have actually... They've always cut Bud's always got a hate for running really conservative schemes on defense, but he's actually he has diversified it a bit this year. They're running, they're switching a little bit more sometimes, they're trapping, hedging, and Giannis has kind of thrived in that because the player who suffers from a conservative scheme is someone like Giannis, who's athletic, can cover all that ground, but he's been should definitely be in more MVP conversations this year. Like people are kind of telling on themselves by suggesting he's not. Yeah, I agree. And I think I haven't maybe looked at the numbers as, as detailed as someone like you would. But from my eye, I think he's been better this season than he was last season. Uh, maybe not his first MVP year. That was obviously a special season. But I think he's arguably been better this year. Um, but like you mentioned then, voter fatigue is going to kick in. In terms of the odds, which I know is not the best way to go, but Jokic is 3-1 to one on, Embiid 11-4. to four. Steph Curry 14-1. to one. You've got Giannis out there at 16-1. to one. In America, Giannis is 20-1. to one. So I think that just shows that, that people just aren't considering him just because he's won it for two times in a row, which is a shame really because it should be more rewarded upon on who deserves it. So he should be at least top three for me. Yeah, absolutely. I'd have him. I would have him third behind the two bigs. You know, I think the way he impacts the game. Again, you said it with Kawhi. But he impacts it on both ends. Giannis as well. But defense has taken a little step back this year. But I don't necessarily think that's on him. I think they've. I don't think their guard defense has been the same. Even with the addition of Drew Holiday, I think whoever they've played at shooting guard has struggled on that end. Whether it's Divincenzo or Pat Connaughton, but they're. You know, they think they've been the best offensive team in the league for I don't know if they still are but they have been and he's obviously a massive part of that and Drew Holiday helps with that by the way uh, he wasn't an easy name to admit to admit from my all NBA teams yeah he's been key for them in terms of how they play offensively uh, a bit more shooting with Giannis which has helped but they're third in the east aren't they so I know that they they walked the east for two seasons previous and maybe people are looking at that as a reason, but I just don't think it should count. We can't sit here and say it's all about the playoffs of the Bucks and then kind of knock Giannis when his team are third, just behind two very, very good teams. I think that's unfair for people to do. So I would agree with you. I think he's the, the easiest forward on the list. Uh, cool. Let's go on to centre then. We know who it is, but why was he your first team centre? Ben, I don't know if you know who Ben Taylor is. He's a great NBA YouTuber, not just yeah. Because he follows me, but um, <laughs> he did a, he did a video on Jokic. I want to say on Wednesday or Thursday, and his team is basically that he's one of, if not the most unique player to ever play the game. You know, obviously when he was kind of when he was sort of bursting onto the scene, shall we say, the comps were got to guys like Chris Webber. Obviously, Arvidas Sabonis was an easy comp because they're both East European, but he's better than all of them because he's just much more of a a dominant scorer than Weber ever was. You know, as much as Weber is my favourite player of all time, um, his scoring was patchy at times. What he was great at was the sort of fluidity. Well, Jokic, to me, looks like he slimmed down just a little bit this year and that little bit of mobility for a guy who already creates the passing windows he does. Those windows are even more wide open. I think the most telling thing is when Aaron Gordon was traded to Denver, he had a... I'm not going to say he had some amazing debut, but I think he scored like 14 points. I want to say on like six or seven shooting. And in his post-game interview, he was sort of saying, 
this is the easiest team I've ever played on because all I have to do is move towards the rim and I'll get the ball. Mm-hmm. It, doesn't, it doesn't matter where he is, where I am, who my defender is, what the players. If I cut towards the rim, I'm getting the ball. Jokic has an impact on a basketball game that I've not seen a big man have since Shaq, mm-hmm. probably. I mean, Shaq was different. I mean, obviously, Shaq was all Shaq won the genetic lottery, so he was just bigger and stronger than everyone else. But Jokic is. I mean, I could watch him all day. If you, I said earlier, like if you want to get into the NBA, Kawhi's not a guy you watch. If you want to get into the NBA, especially if you're a football fan and you've grown up on like David Silva, Mesa Özil, Xavi, and Iniesta, you watch the Nuggets because Jokic reminds you of those guys, just threading the needle, keeping it, keeping it ticking, dictating the tempo. And the difference this year is it doesn't always have to be the slow tempo. He can be assertive. He he's a dominant post scorer. He's a dominant elbow player. What a player! Unbelievable. Um, yeah. My MVP. Yeah, I agree. I think he's going to win the MVP for sure. Best best passing big man of all time is a crown he's got already, uh, and he's yeah. 26, 26 years old. So <laughs> that's crazy. The ceiling is so high for him. Like I said, it's only going to be physically that things drop off as he gets older. Um, it's very hard to have these LeBron-esque seasons where you just keep going uh, without really looking after your body, but it's 26 and he has the chance to do it. I think he's shooting 42% from three-point this year. Uh, yeah. sec- second most prolific score in post-ups in the league. I think Embiid's probably first. Uh, I just think it's been a crazy season. Like I said, in the fourth quarter as well, one of the most efficient players in the fourth quarter, which does matter. Uh, yeah, he's just cl- clear, clear MVP for me. Uh, I think the testament to him is obviously Denver... And certainly since the John Elway days has always been an NFL town. Mm-hmm. You know, Denver beat writers a couple of years ago with joke that, you know, the Nuggets could win, could make the NBA finals and people would sort of say, oh, you know, when does the Broncos season start? <laughs> but he's actually making them basketball more popular. I believe before the pandemic, they were like top five in attendance. And for years, historically, Denver had been, well, they'd had some years where they were not too high in attendance. Yeah, especially after Melo left as well. Yeah, and there was those were some. Even they had some all right teams under George Carl. They were fun, but like the attendances weren't necessarily always where they should have been. Even when Jokic was bursting onto the scene, the attendances weren't there. But they've, he's making basketball popular. I don't think he's well. He he's certainly like the the trajectory he's going. Like John Elway, there is a god. Like John Elway could walk into a bar and he wouldn't have to pay for anything for the rest of the night. I mean, Jokic is. Jokic is pushing that trajectory as well, man. Like just the level he's elevating this city to. He's making it a basketball city. And I think in historical discussions, that kind of stuff matters. Yeah, and he's um he's gonna go down as well as a sec the best second round pick ever. Because I think he was a I can't believe that. I didn't realise this till probably four months ago when I looked into it that he was a second round pick. I kind of forgot and just assumed he was a first round pick, but not, not the case. Um, hell of a season. And he's making uh, European basketball more popular as well. There's going to be more and more Nuggets fans across Europe and over here in the UK the more they see a European kind of leading a team. Similar to Luca. those two sell so many jerseys in Europe. I think it's, it's great for the game. Uh, cool. Well, that's our, your all-NBA team. Just quickly before we move on to, to the Timberwolves stuff, who was the, 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 maybe the, the, the player that you were most guilty of leaving out uh, of your, your team? I know that would be back to the third teams, but was it Donovan Mitchell? Was it Drew Holiday? What sort of player were you most guilty of missing out? Uh, one of the Suns back. Or, again, that's part of the problem. Is like I went on a pod a couple of months ago and we were kind of debating who's the best player on the Suns. I said Chris Paul. Um, that's kind of what makes it difficult. Is because you can't necessarily you can't necessarily pick like Bradley Beal is the best player on the Wizards. There's no debate, so yeah. it's kind of easier to put him in the third team. When you're kind of debating between the Suns guys, it's much easier to just go. Well, you can leave both of them out, put Bradley Beal in. So it was tough not having any Suns players on there. I mean, Drew Holiday's had a great season, certainly offensively as well. I think he's shooting forty two percent on pull up threes, which is ridiculous. I think pre-injury SGA would have had a chance as well. Uh, well, we call it injury. We don't know if it is, but, you know, pre-SGA was on, he'd taken a step and I probably would have considered him. Obviously, Rudy, like for some people, it's for me, it wasn't like fantastic defender, but Julius Randle has been ridiculously good this season. Um, so I, I would say my answer is one of the Suns backcourt, for sure. Cool. Perfect. All right, well, let's move on from talking about the best players in the league, talking about your favourite team, the Timberwolves. 
got five kind of specific questions that, that I've got for you. So let's start with the, the easiest one. What are your overall thoughts on on why this season has gone poorly, I guess, uh, second worst record in the West? Uh, and also, has the team kind of underperformed from what you thought they would be at the start of the year when you were looking at who might finish where in the West and the East? Um, I mean, Saunders definitely underachieved. Like, I, d- I never thought this roster was as bad as he was coaching it. The issue is, is we have had injuries. You know, Malik Beasley missed some time. Then he got suspended and now he's out for the season. And Malik uh, was playing, a, I would say, a very good level um, before he got injured. He was shooting a ridiculous percentage and a really poor offensive skill. I mean, Saunders was 7-24 in his games. Finch has been 10-20. and um, But it's about the process to me. When you're a bad team, Finch has been a lot better. Um I wouldn't say they've underachieved, but I didn't necessarily think we'd be in a chance at Cade Cunningham. Like I thought we'd lose our pick to the Warriors. We still might, but we've got a better chance of keeping it than we have of losing it, which that's not something I would have expected coming into the season. Yeah, and you just mentioned that, and so midway through the season, obviously you fired Saunders, hired Chris Finch from the Raptors. Uh, how has the team actually changed when you watch them in terms of scheme-wise? Uh, and what just what's your general opinions, I guess, on Finch as well? Do you think he he was the right choice, and and you're confident that he's going to be a good coach for the future? Yeah, I, I I'll be honest, like because when we fired Saunders, it was announced like two minutes later we got Chris Finch. So I was kind of I was on war zone, and my guys were reading it out to me. And they were <laughs> like, "Oh, you've hired someone." I got, I thought I was a David Vanterpool, and they said, "No, no, no, it's Raptors assistant Chris Finch." Now, as someone who likes offensive X's and O's. Uh, Chris Finch is kind of that's a name that excites me because he ran some really good stuff in New Orleans when he had Anthony Davis and Julius Randle. He's done a lot of free coaching clinics on some of his offensive philosophies, and he's been he's been good. Like he's not had much to work with. I think since D'Lo got back with in the games D'Lo and Cat have played together, I believe we're seven and six, which is a good sign. But Finch, the main thing he's done, the offense is better, not necessarily by the numbers, but. I wrote an article on the Timberwolves offense under Ryan Saunders and I literally stressed at the start that the numbers aren't my issue with this offense. It's not the offensive efficiency, it's the process. With Finch, there's more cutting off ball, uh, there's more unselfishness. Edwards is taking better shots, which I think is because there's a proper system in place now. Uh, he's And he's mixing up the defensive coverage. Under Saunders, it was always drop coverage, no matter who we were against. Well, we're hedging a bit more against Utah. We trapped a lot. We were very aggressive in trying to play the passing lanes because we know that we knew that Utah's game is drive and kick. So what we did is we kind of tempted them into the drive and then we would cover the kick out and they just didn't really, because Donovan Mitchell's not an efficient scorer, uh, they didn't really have much of an answer for it. So I've been semi-impressed, obviously, like I, he's going to need to start winning bigger games next year. But in terms of a mid-season appointment, I'm very, very satisfied. Yeah, and I think the defence would have always been the hardest thing to improve, wouldn't it? Because anyone who kind of looked at the roster at the start of the year saw that it was a bad defensive roster. I think last year, uh, you weren't great defensively either, but you didn't add many players that are known for their, their defensive skills. So I don't think that was going to improve. Uh, but I do have to say that I don't like to see a fan struggling, but your Twitter when Saunders was the coach was quite funny because there was a lot of tweets, anti-Saunders tweets that were making me laugh. I could tell that you were very keen to get him fired as soon as possible. Yeah, he's probably the worst coach in NBA history. Like, genuinely, he was so out of his depth. Just unbelievable how he was ever hired, really. Like, he'd been an assistant... He'd been assistant under his dad, Flip, at Washington for a couple of years, and he'd been one of the player development guys under... Tom Thibodeau but that just was not a good hire it wasn't a good hire when we made it and it wasn't and it didn't turn out to be a good hire either yeah it seemed more of an emotive hire as opposed to an actual hire for basketball reasons I think um which is harsh to say but yeah he he didn't do a good job but hopefully like you said Finch can take that kind of scheme from the Raptors and, and improve things uh let's move on to the the general roster then um, so you've got the four players that, that everybody knows and, uh, and thinks are, are very good offensively in Cat, Edwards, D'Angelo Russell and, and Beasley. Uh, do you think they can all actually work together as a four on a roster or do you think you would look to trade one? I know Russell is the name that, that often gets mentioned that maybe doesn't fit, but what are your thoughts? Uh, obviously the defence is tough, but it's a good thing we drafted Jaden McDaniels who looks like he's going to be like an all-NBA level defender kind of sooner rather than later. Um 
I don't honestly. My heart says they will work together. My head says probably not. But you've got to try it. Like we're not in a position where we need to win games now. As weird as that says, with how good Cat is and has been for a very long time. Like I don't think this team is like saying, "Oh, we need to win now." Like they drafted their draft. We drafted Jaden McDaniels, who was very raw. Anthony Edwards is nineteen. We also drafted Leandro Balmaro from Barcelona, who I believe is also 19. Very raw as well. This team is built for like three or four years from now. So you absolutely you take a punt on these four working. I, I like Beasley, obviously with D'Lo. The, the thing with D'Lo is D'Lo's at his best when he's in a system where he's playing off ball as well as on ball. Whereas kind of at the start of the year, he was always on ball. It was just we were running basically a James Harden offense for D'Angelo Russell. And that's why it was so bad. But those four players are all—they're all good players. It can work. You've got shooting there. You've got playmaking. Delo's a good playmaker. He's a good passer. I'll give him that. And Edwards is also stepping up as a playmaker and a driver. Like it could definitely work. I wouldn't look into trading anyone though, unless I know Zach Levine is not going to sign his qualifying offer with um, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's got a very good relationship with Cat. I mean, unless something like that came up, I wouldn't look into trades. Yeah, I think that Edwards as well has been, actually been better than I thought, at least. Um, he's probably going to lose Rookie of the Year, but I'm not sure necessarily he should because he's been a lot better scoring-wise than I thought he would. And he's took less shots, bad shots, sorry. Like you said, at the start of the season, he was taking a lot of bad shots, whereas recently, every time I've watched your games, that's not been the case anymore. Uh, he's driving and getting to the rim a lot more often, so he, he's definitely impressed me. Uh, and I saw that thread that you tweeted as well about Bomaro. Um, and he looks like an exciting prospect, especially at that age. Like you said, I think he could be one for the for the future for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think like, he's a six foot eight point guard, which is kind of becoming the future, having that big initiator. We're seeing it with Luca. I'm not suggesting he's Luca, but I think that's the type of player that teams are going to look at now because we've got Cade Cunningham coming out as well, who's a generational talent uh, out of this draft. So I think, I think. I think we could see um, big initiators kind of become overdrafted. That would make sense. It's a copycat league, isn't it? NFL is the same, where they do like to see success and they'll see Zion and Luca bringing the ball up the court so often and, and kind of wanting to copy that. But let's see. Uh, cool. So next question then, looking past those four kind of stars, I guess, of the team, which rotation players do you see staying around long term? I know you mentioned McDaniels then, draft pick. Obviously, you're very high on him, but... Is there anyone else that you think could fit with these stars for the long term? Or you think that that'll be the area of the team they kind of change and strengthen throughout next summer? I think there's two. So I'll go down the roster and sort of say yes or no. I mean, Jarrett Culver, a uh, disaster of a pick. You know, that one's got to be rectified ASAP. Mm-hmm. Ed Davis is kind of a rental. I think we only brought him in because he's Delo's friend and we kind of needed someone. So he'll go. Hernan Gomez is terrible. Jake Lehman doesn't do enough. Jordan McLaughlin is okay, but I don't think they're going to keep him around. We're interested in, I forgot the guy's name, but there's another point guard from Barcelona that we're looking to bring over. So that pretty much writing on the wall for Jordan McLaughlin. Josh Kogi is a really weird one because what he's good at, he's very good at, but there are a lot of flaws. I would keep him for the next year and just see if he can coexist on a good team. Uh, Naz Reed is excellent. One of the best undrafted pickups of recent years, to be honest. He's... Got a really nice skill set for a big, very fluid. The issue coming out of LSU was the defense and the motor. I wouldn't personally, I wouldn't say those two are issues now, but obviously I am biased towards him. Big fan, and Jared Vanderbilt is great. You know, he's he's a really interesting player because he's just. I hate the term hustle because I think people just use it when they don't really know how to describe a player, but. That's the best use I can score of him. He's, an, he's one of the best rebounders in the league. Uh, he's a he's a pick-and-roll guy who you can kind of throw lobs to. I like Vanderbilt as well. But outside of that, outside of that four you named, it's basically Vanderbilt, Reed, possibly Jalen Noel, Jaden McDaniels, and maybe Josh Okogie. That's kind of the list. Yeah, and Okogie and Vanderbilt are both 22, I think, as well. Um, so they're very, very young, fit the timeline of the roster. I think Vanderbilt was super fun to watch in college. I didn't watch a Kogi as much in college, to be honest, but uh, Vanderbilt was a fun player to watch in college. He's on BT Sport quite a lot, actually. I don't know if that's just because of the conference he played in, but um, yeah, I think that, that's, that's a good choice. And Bolmaro, you'd like to think, would probably come back over after one season. You don't think they'd stash him for two, I, I would think. I think at the start of the year, certainly the plan was for him to come over next year. Whether that changes, I don't know. Um 
it might do him good to stay over there for another year. But obviously, it, honestly, it depends on this draft. I mean, if we keep our pick and end up with either Cade, Mobley or Suggs, I mean, obviously that can kind of change your roster construction. Whereas if we lose the pick, um, Bolmaro is more likely to kind of be needed in that short term. Yeah, cool. Uh, well, let's go on to the last question then. It is draft-based. Um, like you've mentioned before, the Warriors and Timberwolves deal means that I think it's top three protected, isn't it? So if it's number four or or well, lower or higher, then you look at it, but four plus, then the, the Warriors are going to get that pick. If it's one to three, you're going to keep that pick. At the moment, I think you're, what, you've got the third best odds, is that right, at the, the number one shot? Um, believe so, yeah. Yeah, so... It's, at the moment, like I said, it's more likely that you'll, you'll have your pick than not. But I think if you stay as the third best odds, I think you, the, the, fall, the furthest you can fall is six. And obviously the highest you can get is the number one pick. If you keep the pick, what sort of player would you be looking at? Obviously, it all depends where you fall. I think, like I said, one, you're going to pick Cade Cunningham, aren't you? But aside from him, maybe, what other player project well with that, the top kind of four or five players we've already spoke about on your roster? So I would like Cade or Evan Mobley. I mean, Evan Mobley looks like a, he's going to be a very, very good defensive centre in this league. And there's definitely some potential on the offence as well. I would say, especially with the fact, because if we keep our pick this year, it means we definitely lose the pick next year. And I believe next year's pick is unprotected. So if it was number one pick, the Warriors would get it. Um, to kind of protect ourselves from that, if we end up at three, I would trade back and try and acquire more picks. Looking at teams you might want to trade up, I mean, the Thunder are definitely one you could see trading up because if we're keeping it real, they've got enough picks to, <laughs> to do so. Yeah, um, sort of in that area, I like I like Franz Wagner, I think he's going to be good, and I like Alper and Sengun as well at the bottom of the roster. I've not scouted the entirety of this draft, but those are two guys I really like. Franz will be better than his brother, by the way. His brother's Mo Wagner, he's they're good, he's going to be good. Those are kind of the, the moves I would make. Um, but it, this is very much a draft for me. We need one of those top two players, or you've just got to trade back and hope for a bit of luck in the future. It's a very, um, I, I kind of, most boards I'm seeing from people I really respect, Cade's in a tier of his own, then Mobley's in a tier of his own, and then it goes down after that. Yeah, after the tournament, I've seen a lot of mocks, which you, you never know. You can take them. It really depends on the franchise picking at the position. But a lot of te- a lot of mocks, sorry, are putting Suggs in it too, just due to that tournament performance getting a bit of a bump. If that was the case, then I assume, and you have the third pick, you would be in favour of uh, keeping the pick and selecting Mobley. I guess if he does fall to three, that would kind of be your thinking, would it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. Suggs just doesn't fit your roster for me. I think he's too similar to what you've already got, to be honest. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, most guys I've sort of said, you know, I, I'm in a few group chats, so I always sort of say, you know, if um, if Mobley and Cade were gone and were on the clock at three, who would you take? Most people do say Jalen Suggs, not yeah. necessarily because he's a fit, but because he's the best player available. Mm-hmm. But obviously, for me, um, I, I'm the same in the NFL. I'm not always a fan of best player available. I think it's great on paper, but actually when you're projecting a roster for the future, you need to have balance. You can't just go, oh well, we took him because he was better than this guy. But if he's not gonna, if he's not gonna get on the court or on the field, it doesn't matter if he's better than the guy you passed on. It's about playing time. It's about you know projecting your roster. And I would sort of suggest that if Bolmaro comes over, that's a lot of ball handlers to have. Yeah, true, very true. I think even more so in the NBA as well, because obviously you've only got five starters on the on the floor at one point, so they've got to kind of all fit in with each other and you've got less chance to start. Whereas in, in the NFL, you've got so many more players that you can pick from because there's so many more positions. But in the NBA, if you pick another kind of score-first guard, arguably a two-guard, and you play him with Edwards and Russell, the fit is going to be not great. So I think that I think I agree that the Mobley fit's probably best. And I think this is such a popular draft that you'd get quite a lot of picks, wouldn't you, if you did did decide to trade back. Um, but I know you're going to be watching lottery night, praying that the, the lottery balls fall and you get number one, because that would be uh, the ideal fit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, if it's if the team moving forward is like Cade, Beasley, Edwards, McDaniels, Cav, and that's when you sort of turn around and say, right, dealer, we're going to move you. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not... It's a good trade chip as well, because there will be people interested in him. As much hate as he gets, like, he's an easy guy. If you're kind of... 
if you're a five or a six seed and you're saying, right, well, we need a piece to get us to that next level, he's an easy guy to take a punt on because of what he does have rather than what he doesn't have. I think teams get desperate when they're trying to take that next step. Yeah, no, I agree. And can you imagine the uh, the pick and roll between Cade Cunningham and Cat? I think that would be scary for uh, NBA defences for, for a long, long time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Perfect. Well, that's uh, all the, the T-Wolves questions uh, we had for you. Uh, could you just give a shout out to your, your Twitter at, as always, we always ask people to do that just for anyone that wants to go follow you, kind of see any of your writing. And I know you obviously do your film threads as well. Yeah. Um, I, so I'm on Twitter at Joe Holbert NBA. I cover the Dallas Mavericks and sometimes the Timberwolves, but I, I write general NBA stuff as well. So my next piece is going to be on Drew Holiday, which I'm really hoping to get out soon, but it's a pandemic and it's been tough to get content out. But yeah, that's where you can find me. Perfect. And we always end up getting you on around the draft because you're one of the sort of experts that like to focus on a few prospects, don't you? Rather than focusing on all 60 that are going to go in the first two rounds, you kind of lock in. So we'll get you back on to do some uh, good analysis when it comes to that. Uh, Can you, uh, this is a bit off the cuff, but can you give us your uh, finals prediction right now? East versus West. Um, Lakers, Nets. Nice. And who wins if they're all fit? And healthy. Nets. Nice. Nets in five. Nets in five. I like it. Ben, my co-host, is a LeBron fan. I'll be devastated to hear that. But as a, as a KD fan, I support that message. Uh, but yeah, thanks again, Joe, for coming on. Uh, in terms of the next podcast, me and Ben will be back next weekend for our general review pod. We'll also do another team special. Uh, and then we'll start looking ahead to the, the playing tournament. So remember to go follow us at, at underscore hardwood hoops. And we'll speak to you soon.